so good to be with y'all. I'm feeling all the nostalgic feelings. Uh, the last time I was here, we were aiming this way, and uh, we were uh, celebrating the gift that uh, God gave to us when John and Jana made the decision to come and then came to take leadership. Uh, so as I've been thinking about being with you this, this weekend, I have been actually thinking about the story, not only of Trinity uh, celebrating its 20th birthday, but of the, the desire to plant churches like this one. And I remember going back into the pandemic time when um, Tripp, who was just such a beloved founding pastor of this church, just basically looked at me and said, I can't replant the church. He, he was like, I'm, I'm introverted enough that doing it once was challenging and then trying to replant after a pandemic. He's like, I don't think I have it, Chris. And that feeling of, of I mean, truly what felt like a, a, a kind of terrifying discernment, which is like, well, what do we do? I mean, there's a, this is a real church family and we don't have a leader and I think that in years gone by, there would have been more of an instinct in me to just be reactive and say, we just have to fold it into the, into the West Side. We can't think about this. We can't do this. I just thought, no, the Lord loves this place and has a plan for this place. And there's a calling on this church. And um, the conversations with John and Jana, which is he indicated, you know, predate this discernment by, by a long shot when, when the subject of them moving to Atlanta came up. Um, I was just so proud of the Zigglers for the courage that it took to think about like going to coming across the country and pioneering a work and doing something like this. And when they said yes, it was like a sense of, okay, Lord, you are, you are providing in a way that only you can provide. I remember when Trinity, um, so we celebrated 20 years, like John said on Sunday last week. I remember when we moved from a space like this, which for us was um, uh, it was a, a Pentecostal church on 14th Street and State Street that is now a theater called the Relapse Theater. It's like super sad when your church now that you started in becomes a place known as the Relapse Theater. Uh, that might have been a more accurate name for our church back in the day. We had a bunch of strange people coming to Trinity 20 years ago. But I remember when we moved from that space that we were just using on Sundays like this to our first building, which was a rented space on Ellsworth Industrial Boulevard, how scared I was. I mean, I, literally, we had to call, there were three of us, and we had to call our dads and get our dads to co-sign for us when we signed the lease. Uh, and I remember sitting there and signing a five-year lease, and like we realized at that moment, like our dads now are on the hook for this if we, um, you know, if this doesn't go well. And it was terrifying, terrifying. But the story that God was telling in that act of faith is a story that He's telling here. And the gift is John didn't have to call his dad. Um, I co-signed the lease uh, to guarantee it. Um, and, and so I just want to say this like really boldly. Trinity, we are with you and we are behind you, not just emotionally, but like quite literally we are with you in this. We have signed on the dotted line. Uh, this thing that God is doing in what will soon be incarnation is going to be a good and a really long story. God tells really long stories. We live in the Twitter age where we think stories are short, stories are long. And I just want to say, my family, we are getting behind this move financially, and I want to call you to get behind this. God is going to do something that goes way beyond just a few years of a lease in an awesome space in Shambly. He's going to tell a story that's going to, by the grace of God, outlive John and Jana. 
outlive me. That's the whole idea of the church is that like the church is a moving train that has had in motion. And when we get off through death or retirement, like the train just keeps going. Like we're building something here in the kingdom with the Holy Spirit that's going to outlive all of our tenure. And that, that's like, there aren't many things that you can get behind that are truly transcendent and eternal, but like the church is one of those things. And so I just want to say to you, like on the eve of All Hallows' Eve, looking at All Saints' Day, I mean, we're in a really holy time of the year. We get to actually say like, Lord, you're telling a story and you're using us to be a part of that story. And I just want to say, I'm so pumped to be in this story with you. And I uh, believe in this guy and his wife. I believe in this church in a way that Trinity is just so, so excited and so proud of what God is doing. And we're entering into an all hands on deck phase of the life of the church. Uh, and y'all, it's what takes it from feeling like you're hanging out in a used, borrowed space to like making your own space. And it's just gonna be so beautiful. Uh, John's gonna be super stubborn about some things in that building uh, like the, the font and the lectern and the table. But I promise you, if his vision comes to fruition, they, those things are all going to be really heavy um, and they're going to be awesome. And I just want to say, you're going to get to see like your kids and, and by the grace of God, like your kids' kids baptized in, it's just so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Kenneth Bailey is one of my favorite uh, thinkers in Christianity. He's a kind of theological anthropologist. I remember hearing about Kenneth Bailey uh, because N.T. Wright said he was one of his favorite people to read when it came to like culture of Jesus stuff. And I thought, well, if N.T. Wright likes him, like this is this guy must be wicked smart. So I've read lots of Bailey specifically with a story like the one that we're going to sit with, with Jesus and the tax collector. Uh, because Kenneth actually gives you insight into the cultural backdrop that this story would have, would have taken place in. And I'm going to share some kind of nerdy stuff with you because I think it's actually really important to know some things that you might not know through just a simple plain reading of scripture. So Kenneth is going to teach us today as we look at the Bible and ask for, for God's grace. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And you probably know, like if you spent any time in church, like tax collectors are bad guys. Um, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which meant like the only thing worse in Palestine being a tax collector is being a chief tax collector. Um, tax collectors were uh, hated by Jews uh, because they would make money and then give it to Rome and then get rich in the process. So they were like Jewish people who were selling out in the minds of other Jewish people, their own nation, their own ethnicity in order to make a living. And Zacchaeus had, had been doing this for a long time. He was, um, he was experienced at, at being hated by his neighbors, uh, and he was uh, super, super wealthy. And in Israel, um, because tax collectors were viewed as unclean, uh, Jews believed it was okay to lie to them. And so it's just this amazing thing where, where devout Jewish people would be like, I don't even have to tell the truth to the tax man because he's a super, super sketchy guy. So this is Zacchaeus. He is rich. He is hated and people are lying to him all the time. And the text tells us that Jesus was simply looking to pass through uh, Jericho. He was looking to go straight on to Jerusalem. 
And um, what we see when you look at the Bible, if you pay attention to context, is that Jesus uh, has just healed a blind guy as he enters into town. And this would have caused a stir. Like people were gathering, people were seeing, something was happening. Um, there, was, there was like a, a town in, in some churn right now with, with some upheaval. And it was almost certain that Jesus had been invited to stay as a result of the miracle. Like this is the way it would have worked in Israel. You do something good, people would have been like, spend the night, like stay with us. And so Jesus has already said, nope, I've got to go straight to Jerusalem. Um, and we're going to come back to this idea of Jesus being moving on the way to Jerusalem in a moment. Zacchaeus, this guy that was good at being hated, who had a reputation and was wealthy, knows that Jesus is coming. He sees whatever he's seeing out there in the streets, and he's desperate to be connected to Jesus. Um, but there are real obstacles in the way for Zacchaeus in the same way that when you and me, when we cultivate some sense of awareness that we need to be connected to Jesus, every one of us experience obstacles. One of the things that John has been saying to me is that as you guys move into this next season in the life of your church, um, that God is wanting to cultivate a sense of desperation for Jesus. Y'all, we live in a world that can almost convince us that we can get by, that we can just do life. And, and the worst thing that happens when that creeps in is that God and spirituality become a kind of like tack on to a really busy and full life. We think of it as an enhancer. The thing that I love about Zacchaeus is that he's not really confused about the fact that he's desperate for something and that the only one who can give him that something is Jesus. And I've just been thinking about this myself. It's like, how in touch with my own desperation am I? Uh, because Zacchaeus knows that money's not gonna do it, that like nice real estate's not gonna do it. He had both of those things. He was living in plenty, but Zacchaeus is aware of something in him that is vulnerable, and that vulnerability has stirred a sense of desperation. And I just want to say that I think too many of us spend too much time, energy, and money trying to insulate ourselves from our own vulnerability. Um, and as they say, denial is not just a river in Egypt. Like when we, you get that? Dad joke. Uh, just because we don't acknowledge a thing doesn't make the thing untrue. Zacchaeus knows that he's desperate. I don't know how much you know about what's happened in my own life over the last year and a half, but I, uh, in August, um, actually just after I was with you guys the last time, I went home and went to bed and couldn't get out of bed for days. Um, the kind of cumulative effect of two and a half years of pandemic uh, caught up to my body first before it caught up to my heart. And I was away from Trinity for four months, um, an unpaid leave of absence. We have a sabbatical program in our church. I was due for a sabbatical the year before, didn't take it because I was like, I can't take it. It's a pandemic. We got to, and then as my grandmother used to say, you can do things the easy way or the hard way. I tend to choose the hard way. Four months of time away helped put me in touch with my own vulnerability and my own uh, neediness. John Ortberg, one of my favorite writers in his little book, Soul Keeping, said it is the nature of your soul to need. I'm just going to say that again. It is the nature of the soul, your soul, mine, to need. And yet we have been taught that neediness and vulnerability are bad things. We've been taught that to show weakness or to be weak or to acknowledge weakness is not uh, becoming. What I love about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus is aware of his need. And he has two problems at least. He's hated and he's short. <laughs> Both of these reality, realities actually factor into how Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And I think it's actually really important uh, to think about this. 
if Zacchaeus was going to get to Jesus, he was going to have to be super proactive and intentional. And there have been times in my own life where I've thought, like, if God knows where to find me, if he wants to find me, like, he can just find me. And maybe you're living in that space. Like, there have been times where I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't have a lot of energy. Zacchaeus was so desperate that he was like, I've really got to do some things. And one of the things that I'm learning in my own life with God is that there are times where the Lord invites you to posture and position yourself to actually be in the intersected space where you might encounter God. God surely can find you if you're hiding in the middle of nowhere, um, but there are times where we don't need to choose that option. We need to actually put ourselves in a place where we're likely to intersect, and that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. So he does two strange things. He runs. Do we have any runners in the house? Good, none of you hardly. Okay, uh, if Nate were here, he'd be like, yes, I run. <laughs> Nate's about to run his 50th marathon. I was like, good for you. That's like 50 more than I've ever run. In ancient Palestine, men would never, ever, 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 ever run. It was undignified. So if you're a runner and you're a man, ancient Palestine would have been for you. He also climbs a tree, which is also super irregular. Uh, this guy is so serious about finding Jesus that he's willing to cross cultural and social norms. He's willing to undignify himself. And I think about us and I think about the ways that we try to dignify ourselves, the ways that we try to hold on to a sense of power or orientation around our own dignity or our own reputation. And Zacchaeus is willing to like let some of those things go. And for me, one of the things that I think was so interesting, when I was away for four months, that was one thing, so I was by myself. But when I came back, I had to stand up in front of my church, and it was like being at your own funeral for about three months. People would look at me and be like, are you, you good? We were really worried about you. And I had to get up and keep showing up over and over and over again. And there was a sense of this like being, seeing the facade of dignity go away so that you actually find out really what it means to be human and vulnerable and in touch with our vulnerability. That's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. And I just know enough to know that some of us in this space today need to actually um, move through some of the facade that's keeping you from being as real as you need to be and keeping you from being as met by God as you could be. And often in my own journey, that means that we have to take intentional steps. Y'all moving into this space in Shambly is an intentional step for this church to create space for God to actually create sticky spaces for other people to come in and find the same thing that Jesus and Zacchaeus were about to experience together. So Zacchaeus was willing to do things. He was willing to align and posture himself in in order to see Jesus do things. And I believe that's exactly the space that your church is in and that you may be in individually. It's time to posture and position in order to see Jesus do things that otherwise he might not do. So the next thing we see is that Zacchaeus climbs this tree, and the way it would have worked is that trees in a village or in a town like um, Jericho, uh, such as the ones Zacchaeus climbs, would have had to have been positioned at least 75 feet outside of the town center. So what that tells us is Zacchaeus was hoping that the crowds would have dispersed by the time Jesus encounters him. He's embarrassed, so he wanted to be out of town a little bit, but by the time he gets there, the crowd is still there, and Zacchaeus is caught up in a tree. 
And now it's Jesus's turn to overcome obstacles. So Jesus looks up into the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And I've heard people say like, oh, it's amazing. Like Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name supernaturally. He could have, but I think he knew his name because people in the crowd were shouting his name in a mocking way. Um, He was being made fun of. And so Zacchaeus picks up on the fact that Jesus knows him because everybody knows him by reputation. And Jesus intervenes. And this is one of the things that I love about God is that when I find myself in a place of of desperation, that Jesus will move toward me in desperation. And I think this is actually one of the reasons why we don't allow ourselves to get in vulnerable places is we're afraid that Jesus, like everybody else, will move away from us in that place, but Jesus actually moves toward us. It's like one of the upside down values of the kingdom of God is that he moves toward us in our brokenness. So Jesus basically says, I want to come to your house today. And I love this because Jesus is actually saying, I want to go and be in the home of the oppressor. Um, Everyone in the village would have looked at Zacchaeus as the oppressor and they would have seen themselves as the the victims. And Jesus says, I want to go to your house because God is up to something in your life right now. And Zacchaeus could have just said, no, I, I, no, I, I don't. I'm not worthy of that. I I don't want you to come to my house. But Zacchaeus actually has to make a really, really tough decision. He has to bring Jesus home with him. He has to invite Jesus into his intimate space. And y'all, this is where like church is not totally synonymous with growing in our relationship to God because you can come into a church space and, and keep the whole thing somewhat at arm's length. But when you move further into like inviting God into intimate space, uh, that's where Jesus is going to start like meddling and messing with parts of, of our lives. And that's what's happened in, in my life over and over and over again, clearly in the, last, in the last year. This idea of Jesus saying, I want to come into your intimate space and I want to do that, not just to make you feel better, but I want to actually work transformation into your, into your life. And so in some way, I, I feel like incarnation is, is like the tree Zacchaeus climbs up in and, and that tree is an occasion for an encounter with, with God. But, but incarnation, I think, as y'all move forward is also going to be like Zacchaeus' home. It's like a place of permanence where God is going to convene and gather and do really, really good things. He's going to meet you in ways that I think are really, really powerful. So here's what Zacchaeus does at the end. He says, I'm gonna give you know, half my money and I'm gonna pay back four times, he, he was basically speaking in, in hyperbolic language. He was just basically trying to say to Jesus and to his friends, or who would be some of them his friends, I see that I have been out of alignment, and now I'm going to move toward alignment. I'm going to engage you by owning my own sin. And I just am moved by the fact that Zacchaeus, in this moment, receives something good from Jesus and then he opens up and extends a kind of olive leaf, an olive branch to people around him. And I think that what the Lord is going to do in this church is I believe that he's gonna invite you all into places where you own and admit your own need for him. Because the truth of the matter is raising the the money that you're gonna raise and moving into a permanent space, like it's actually beyond the scope of just y'all in the room being able to like pull a rabbit out of the hat and make it happen. These are the moments where we get outside ourselves and we say like, God, where where are you? Are you going to, to show up and show yourself to be true? What I have discovered 
is that when we get out of our comfort zone, that's where the Lord shows up in ways that are just beyond like, I, can, I got this. And maybe for some of you, you're in an invitation to move beyond, I got this. Um, and that applies in so many ways. Like when we had our first kid, it was like, ooh, I don't know if we have this. And then the second one, and then the third one, and then you're like, oh, I don't know. I was just actually saying to Bailey before church, you know, early in the life of our church, we, I lived at the church for a stretch of two and a half weeks to protect the church from robbers. Like, we didn't have it. We were way clueless. Uh, we just thought we were gonna take a city for Jesus, and what we realized was that Jesus wanted to take us. He wanted to heal us. He wanted to meet us. He wanted to get us in touch with our desperation. And so what's gonna happen in the next year or so here, I believe, is that you all are gonna be invited over and over again to get in touch with your own finitude and vulnerability so that Jesus can come and do for you what only he can do. And that applies both individually, but it also applies collectively. So we're gonna spend a few moments in, in some quiet. What I wanna invite you to consider is where the Lord is asking you to get outside your own self, your own competency, your own I've got this. Um, maybe another way to put it would be where is Jesus inviting you to acknowledge your need for him, your desperation for him. And I think that this is good medicine for us, maybe especially as we move toward um, All Hallows and All Saints. Uh, on All Saints, we, we celebrate the, the cloud of witnesses, the saints, the family of God, those who've gone on before us. And I believe that if we're going to move toward being in that number, we have to actually acknowledge our vulnerability and our need for him in new ways as we grow older. So let's be still for a few moments. Let's be quiet in our hearts. I'm going to pray and then turn us loose into a couple of moments for reflection and quiet. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the fact, Jesus, that you find us when we're desperate and in trees. When we put ourselves in those spaces of intersection, God. I also thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to invite you in in ways that create kingdom impact both in our lives and in the lives of people around us. I pray, God, that you would give us a sense of getting in touch with our need, our vulnerability. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would ask you to meet us in that need. In Jesus' name, amen.